0: Sound Health radio show where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health. I'm Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards is working on the soundhealthportal.com Always, just always, anytime I have communication with her, she's coming up with some new amazing chart. And I would suggest to find out more about the Sound Health Portal I think the best way is really to go to soundhealthportal.com, scroll down past all the information and the things that are going to like, whoa, that looks really interesting, and go right down to the bottom and click on the videos button and find some uh, recent live workup Sherry does online where she works with an individual in a webinar and records it. And so you can watch the actual process of somebody giving her her voice recording, a voice recording, which means they just talk into the system. Now that the Sound Health Portal, you can do it all through a computer or even your phone. Better on a computer with a microphone, Mm -hmm. like the Samsung Go mic. doesn't have to be fancy, although the Samsung Go mic is really surprisingly good. It'll just show you the real-life example. Pick a video that's in a category that you're interested in, whether it be neuroplasticity or stem cells or bio diet, corona conflict. And watch the video and watch her go through the process. And it'll give you so much more information about seeing it than me talking about it endlessly. Because it just is a visual. Once you see it, you'll go, oh, wow. Then, after you watch the video, then you can go back and you can scroll down to the campaigns, see what the current campaigns are. Campaigns is a free process. You can take your voice through one of these campaigns for free. Some of the recent campaigns have been fibromyalgia. Bio diet and Corona Conflict. And then you'll be able to easily walk through that and submit your voice. It'll run through the system and you'll get back a report within about an hour or two is pretty typical. Sometimes it's longer if a crowd has come in. And I think that's a really great, great way to experience the Sound Health Portal, watching the video, then going back and doing a trial or a campaign and seeing what kind of information you get. It's an amazing thing now to have it online, make it available for everyone everywhere. I just carry a go mic in my bag. It's only about three inches long and two and a half inches wide. Plug it into somebody else's computer, take them to the portal, have them do an intake, and then get back a report. I I'm wild about the Soundhealth portal. To hear and share replays of the show about twenty to thirty minutes after I you hear the outro music You can go to TalkToMeGuy.com, scroll down that page, and you'll see this episode, as I say, usually about 30 minutes. And at the bottom of that episode, there's there's a player where you can listen to it right there if you want. The site is very mobile-friendly, so if you want to watch it on a phone or a tablet or a mobile device, it's easy to do. Loads really fast, plays really well. And or there are also links to click through to any about a half dozen different podcast aggregators, which are players. And also on that same page at the show notes in the lower right-hand corner is a microphone. And if you tap on the microphone, you can leave me a message saying any number of things, like what about this question or what about that or could you have this guest on or any kind of questions. And I'll get a notification about that. You can find that all at talktomeguy.com. Just like it sounds, all word, all words, no numbers, no tricky, nothing. With that, Dr. Stephanie Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She has a BS degree from MIT in biology and MS, EE, and PhD degrees from MIT in electrical engineering and computer science. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide glyphosate and the mineral sulfur. Since 2008, she has authored over three dozen peer-reviewed journal papers on these topics. She's the author of the book on glyphosate titled Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment which was noted by Kirkus Reviews as one of the best nonfiction books of 2021. Dr. Seneff joins us today to talk about toxic legacy and her latest research. Welcome, Stephanie.
1: So great to be here. Thank you.
0: So let's just dive right into the deep end of the pool, (laughs) because that's where we go. That's where we like to go. When we had originally talked about doing a show, you, I, I think I saw a tweet and then I contacted you about the CDC changing developmental mindsto- milestones for infants. Please, right. <laughs> I have so many bad words. Please, what is this? What are they trying to do, and why? Do you I think. <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's because the kids are not developing as quickly today as they used to. And I think that the reason is because they're being poisoned. And, <clears throat> and it's interesting because they have apparently about one-third of the of the developmental milestones that have to do with fine motor control have been pushed later, you know, delayed. And um, they don't even care when they crawl. It's not a milestone anymore, whether they crawl or not. and yeah. And they... And vocabulary is 50 words it used to be by the age of two. Now it's 50 words by the age of two and a half. Wow. So that's both cognitive and physical, you know, and fine motor control. All of these things are delayed. Uh, the, the new milestones are later. And, um, you know, whether that's why they would do that, to me, I think the reason is because the kids are slowed down. I think they're not
0: developing as quickly as they used to. And from the, when I read the article, I must have missed the part where they talked about, they did say the earlier a child is identified with a developmental delay, the better as treatment, as well as learning in, interventions can begin. And yet nowhere did I see anything about diet or planetary no. influences or environmental toxins or estrogen mimickers or any number of words we could banter back and forth. It's just like, oh. The rule, it isn't what it used to be. We're going to just change the rules rather than figure out why that might occur. Is that correct? Am I getting that right?
1: I think that's right, and it reminds me of what they do with the toxic chemicals because the glyphosate situation is interesting the same way with respect to the EPA when they say, or the FDA, when they say... um, when they when they discover that the and this is because Monsanto informs them that the levels of glyphosate in certain foods are are hitting the top they're going over the limit you need to change the limit and they say oh okay good we'll multiply it by twenty you know they've done things like just saying twenty times as much glyphosate in soy is now okay as compared to before just because now there is more so we better just change the limit so that they won't violate the law this is how it works and nobody even bothers to test whether that's okay or not.
0: Wow, I have so many bad things I'd like to say, but I won't. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it blows my mind that that's just it. They just it's like it's like in the movies where somebody picks up the phone and says, "Hey, would you handle this because it's bad?" and they just change the rules to make it so like, now that's okay. That that is
1: just Right, that's how you get around the law. You just change the law. And the law wow. is very accommodating because you you grease the wheels. That's the way the whole system
0: works. And yet, the, I was going to save this for later, but it's coming up as so germane right now. The World Health Organization made a, I'm not sure what this is called, a proclamation, I guess I will call it, declared glyphosate a possible carcinogen in 2015. Yet, we continue to use about 150 million tons of glyphosate in the USA every year. How's that?
1: I, know. I don't know that you have an answer but it's like, it? what? I think we've gotten so comfortable with this kind of toxic uh, agriculture for food it's made uh, growing food a lot easier because you could just throw chemicals on it and you don't have to hire people to pull weeds very efficient you know, very low cost and you poison everybody and you end up with lots and lots of medical expenses but you don't you don't look at that you ignore that
0: wow As I've said before, I know when we've talked that I grew up near the Salinas Valley. And when we drove through the Salinas Valley to come up to what is now Silicon Valley to visit my grandparents, I would stick my head out the car. This was in the 60s. I would stick my head out of the car and get crop dusted. Mm -hmm. Because it's just as you see in the movies, the the planes flying over the crops to spray something. Mm -hmm. And what I realized years later was that was probably DDT I was being sprayed with.
1: Probably so.
0: And so I grew up watching, you know, what looked to be beautiful produce be sprayed right. and or even the the terror that uh, years later what sort of really did launch my my uh, more bad words uh caring about the environment was watching the methyl bromide, the plastic you you would drive out through the Salinas Valley, actually through Watsonville, and the hills would be just lined with plastic rows. Tight rows of earth in plastic and the reason mm. that they would do that is so they would then pump the methyl bromide into that to kill everything mm. in the soil they would just kill oh. everything in the soil and then they would plant these poor immunosuppressed stressed out wimpy little strawberries because You're they right. weren't able to they weren't able to do anything they weren't able they weren't genetically strong enough to survive if anything like bumped into them Ooh. so they'd sterilize the soil know, and it's, that's, just, it's just and amazing. we accepted that I, for decades what are we yeah. thinking? I mean,
1: we've gotten so comfortable with this kind of idea of these massive farms with very, very few people working on them, turning out huge amounts of soy and corn and canola, you know, and sugar beets. I mean, that's basically the, the, the basic foods of the American diet all goes into the processed foods, and it's all loaded with toxic chemicals. And then you wonder why we're so sick. We wonder, you wonder why the U.S. is so vulnerable to COVID-19. I, I think I have the answer. We're being poisoned
0: food. And it seems so much back to the CDC changing the milestones. It just seems like nobody's thinking about uh, what I've always called the total toxic load, meaning all this stuff that we dump into the environment of this soup of weird stuff, whether it's plastics or just things that estrogen mimickers so you've got you've got a stressed out estrogen system estrogen mimicker stressing out the immune system and then you add glyphosate to that and i has anybody done research looking at let's say adding two things together versus just here's glyphosate who acknowledges that by the way
1: is an estrogen disruptor it is one of those Interesting uh, molecules that are more toxic at low doses than at higher doses. And and glyphosate has that characteristic. They only discovered that, you know, recently. But um, there's lots of papers coming out now with uh, studies on very low-dose glyphosate and showing that it's an estrogen endocrine disruptor.
0: Would you talk a bit more about estrogen disruption (sighs) or mimicking? Just that whole category is so gnarly
1: it's really fascinating and it's interesting that when these chemicals are available at those low doses they they are able the, the cell receives them as if they are some kind of a um, of a hormone you know they react to them like they're a hormone only they're a hormone that doesn't do the right thing and um and then you end up with um, a lot of confusion with um, a lot of issues with thyroid and with um sexual development i mean all kinds of things get messed up when you have when you're exposed to these chemicals and there's many of them um that cause um these problems that is uh confusing your hormonal system which is you know your hormones are so important for for your health and of course your immune system all of these things get disrupted in strange ways and uh, and bad things happen
0: and bad things happen I look forward to your next book, And Bad Things Happen. (laughs) That would be a great book title. Um, Let's talk about, because this is such a one of the key, I think, key issues about glyphosate. It's so bad in so many ways. But please talk about, you talked about this in toxic legacy. Glyphosate in the gut. The -hmm. poor, I feel so sad for the gut. It's just like, how does it have a chance? (laughs)
1: Yes, um, I worked really hard on that chapter. Excuse me, frog in my throat there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I worked really hard on that chapter. I had to read a lot of stuff, and there's all these papers coming out, and they're usually really, really difficult. You know, huge charts of all these different microbes is so confusing. It's really hard to figure out exactly what's going on. But after a while, I finally kind of worked it through. Uh, Quite fascinating. But glyphosate disturbs the gut in so many ways. And part of it is that the, it kills microbes and it, it kills only some of them, you know, it kills some of them better than it kills other ones. And so, and in fact, it kills the beneficial ones better than it kills the pathogens. So you get an imbalance where the pathogens are kind of taking over and, you know, bifidobacteria and lactobacillus are going down. And so those guys are really important for the infant to get the whole thing started and get everything working well and they're being cloppered by glyphosate and then you get you know things like clostridia and desulfovibrio and these guys are causing a lot of problems in the gut that's causing the immune cells to come in there and try to try to clear them and then you get an inflammatory response and now you get gut inflammation and you get destruction of the gut uh, barrier you get leaky gut and, and then on top of that glyphosate is disrupting your ability to metabolize things and in particular proteins are a big problem if you can't metabolize proteins they stick around is so proteins are like chains of amino acids you know they're built that's the whole DNA code very important part of biology proteins are, are the workhorses of the body but you eat proteins you know from the plants and the proteins that you eat need to be broken down into individual amino acids and then they get absorbed in the upper gut and then they get utilized to make new proteins to make your own proteins so what's happening is that there's critical enzymes that the these bacteria provide to the host to help them break down the proteins. And the, and those enzymes are disrupted. Those those um, microbes are disrupted. The proteins don't get broken down. And, um, and then they end up, um, you don't have enough amino acids. So you start to, people, you know, they've got all these shelves of aminos you can take at the drugstore, at the grocery store even. They've got these, you know, all these, You've got huge numbers of supplements now in the supplement section and big jars of aminos, you know, which is just... And the various individual amino acids, these are all available as supplements. I think people are basically eating digested food because they can't just digest food anymore. It's sort of mm. what's happening. And the proteins, when they don't get broken down, two things happen. One is they go through that leaky gut, and when when the immune cells see these proteins, that you know, plant proteins that haven't been broken down yet, like gluten the immune cells get upset with that. That's a foreign protein in the wrong place, and that's how you get you know, gluten intolerance is because the uh, glyphosate is disrupting the body's ability to metabolize the gluten. And on top of that, the proteins make their way down to the lower gut and now it becomes the task of the microbes that are living in your colon to break down those proteins. And that that ends up having a whole different set of microbes develop in the colon, the one that can eat those proteins. And they break them down all the way to nitrogen because they can't be absorbed anymore. And the nitrogen changes the pH of the gut to be too high. And that then kills the bacteria, the, bacteria, the acid-loving bacteria that make these short-chain fatty acids that are super important for your health. They, they break down fiber and they turn it into short-chain fatty acids. Those guys are, are being uh, unable to thrive because the pH is too high, the pH is too high because the proteins didn't get broken down. It becomes quite a mess, you know. The whole system just kind of falls apart. And um, and you get bloating, you know, you get a lot of gas built up, you get constipation and diarrhea and bloating and, and pain, I mean, all kinds of uh, issues with the gut uh, as a consequence of these microbes not being in a happy place
0: and is this part of the cycle of uh, fatty liver is somehow this, it is, is, there, yeah. is well, all this part is, of the fatty liver issue
1: absolutely that's that's part of it too and of course the fats are in trouble too the fats don't get uh, metabolized very well and that's probably in part because the bile acids are not being uh, produced and they're not being shipped and uh The bile acids depend upon enzymes in the liver called cytochrome P450 enzymes, or CYPE enzymes, and those get suppressed by glyphosate, so then the liver can't make enough bile acids. The bile acids are needed to digest the fats, so the fats don't get digested. In fact, they probably get stored into the the abdomen to to make you obese, you know, because you're having trouble with digesting the fats, and so you just store them. and um, and then of course you get the fatty liver uh, and that's also a consequence of glyphosate disruption of of critical enzymes in the liver in fact I talked a lot in my book about an enzyme called PEPCK which normally can convert fat into sugar and and it's used to to do that um, when your blood sugar goes low it's called gluconeogenesis it depends upon this enzyme and that enzyme is quite fascinating because I can use the model of the enzyme that glyphosate famously suppresses in the plants that kills them which is P, uh, PEP, um, EPSP synthase EPSP synthase is an enzyme in the shikimate pathway that the glyphosate disrupts that kills the plant and EPSP synthase and PEPCK have the same exact model in the situation where glyphosate could be predicted to cause the same problems to PEPCK and that is a really really important enzyme in the liver and elsewhere I think it can also uh, potentially explain the problems with diabetes um, because the pancreas needs the PEPCK as well to work properly so certain enzymes I think are getting really clobbered by glyphosate and that's causing tremendous disruption in the whole metabolic process that ends up uh, getting you sick and uh, and the fatty liver is very clear, it is clear evidence for it. There was a study on rats that low-dose glyphosate Cause fatty liver in these rats, and there was also a study on humans where they looked at people that had um, fatty liver, and they found that the ones, uh, the ones, who, they had three groups: the ones who didn't have it, the ones who had a mild case, and the ones that had a severe case. And all three groups had differentials that were significant, significant um, in terms of p-value. You know, significant difference between the values on average of the uh, glyphosate and the urine among those three groups.
0: And would you say more about the diabetes aspect? Because we seem to have increased levels of diabetes and insulin resistance in that whole category. Do you think that the glyphosate is a major contributor, I'll call it, to that?
1: I Yeah, I think it's probably the reason. If you had to pick one reason for the epidemic, it would be glyphosate. I, I always have to say glyphosate's not the only thing that causes it. And that's true for autism as well. Glyphosate doesn't... Isn't the only thing that causes autism, but it's the reason for the it's the primary reason for the autism epidemic, and for the obesity epidemic, and the diabetes epidemic. I believe that, yes. And um, and again, that's because it disrupts critical enzymes in the pancreas that are involved in um, in making the insulin. And it also disrupts the uh, well, the PPCK can play an important role in that because PEPCK is glucone- it is needed for gluconeogenesis which is going to have the liver make sugar when the blood sugar gets low and when the liver can't do that quickly uh, the whole system has a reset and it sort of raises the level of blood sugar that it needs to keep in the blood all the time on the event you know in case it's sort of worried about the possibility of going into a coma if the blood sugar gets too low you don't have that resource to just pour it in to make sugar and pour it in on on a dime you know to do that quickly and so your, your body resets the, the standard and puts the sugar into the blood. And now you've got, you know, pre-diabetes um,
0: because of that. Wow. Um, <laughs> and is there, diet-wise, is there something we can be doing? Well, I, again, I was going to say this for the end, but it, it just comes to mind. Can, because we're, now we'll talk about sulfate. It, can we eat enough Crassula family, which is the broccoli, cauliflower family, to if it let's say it's certified organic, and that's a whole other question about levels of glyphosate on certified organic, but do you think we can eat enough of that to give our guts some help, some benefits, some yay go team <laughs> go? <clears throat>
1: Well, I definitely, you know that I'm a big fan of sulfur, and I do believe right. that sulfur deficiency is systemic in our society, and not just sulfur su- deficiency, but impaired sulfur metabolism, and that's another thing with glyphosate. And I really, um, I had identified sulfate, sort of sulfate mismanagement, I guess I would call it, in autistic kids. I, I, I figured that out long before I met glyphosate. I could see they had a problem with sulfate. I learned it from Rosemary uh, Waring, who was a she had studied she worked with autistic kids back in the nineteen nineties and she figured out this issue with sulfate that they were they were peeing it out you know they had high sulfate levels in their urine and low sulfate levels in their blood and she felt that was a, a critical uh, piece of the puzzle for why they had the autism and i think she was right Um and sulfate is is super super important in the body in many ways For example, in the gut, sulfate's critical in the gut uh, barrier. It it builds this gelled water along the edges. It's it's quite interesting how the body has come up with this solution of having these very long and complicated chains of sugar, sugar molecules that are all hooked together, kind of like the amino acids hooked together to make the proteins. And these are called glycosaminoglycans. It's a big word. I call them GAGs, G-A-G, GAGs. They line um for example, the gut they line all the mucosal barriers, so the gut barrier has all these sugars, and these sugars have all kinds of sulfates attached to them and it, and it, they can have more or they can have less you know there's sort of an amount and People have discovered that when you have insufficient sulfate in the in the gags in the in the uh, in the gut. That's going to set you up for things like inflammatory bowel. You know, it's associated with these conditions where the gut is not healthy, and that's because the microbes now have access. They can get past the barrier, and they can it can cause infections, you know, systemic infections because they and the foods can get past the barriers too. The barriers are no longer solid because you don't have enough sulfate in the gut, and this is true throughout the body. If you don't have enough sulfate lining the blood vessels, the blood's not healthy. If you don't have enough sulfate in the brain, the brain's not healthy. And so you've got a systemic sulfate deficiency problem when you have chronic exposure to glyphosate and of course along with a sulfur deficient diet. Glyphosate messes up, I believe it messes up several of the enzymes that are critically involved with the proteins, sulfate synthesis, sulfate transport, sulfate transfer from one molecule to another. It looks to me like all of those uh proteins have what I call a glyphosate susceptibility motif, and I write about it in my book. It's quite fascinating it's a puzzle biology, but um there's this um interesting story that I think is true that glyphosate is getting into the uh proteins by mistake in place of the amino acid glycine glyphosate is a glycine molecule, a complete glycine molecule, except that it has an extra thing hanging on to its nitrogen atom, and that extra thing is what um makes it toxic. Um, And I think it's toxic because it is an amino acid, and it's an amino acid analog of glycine. And that has tremendous consequences that are subtle, cumulative, and um, devastating in the end, but it takes time.
0: And (laughs) I'm going to jump to another of your favorites. Can we do enough Epsom salt baths to at least give our body a chance of getting sulfur in dermally? To give us
1: well, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we can, but I I'm a okay. big fan of Epsom salts, and uh, I personally uh, frequently um, so just throw. I don't even do it on an extreme basis. I just throw a little into the bath water. I enjoy right. a hot bath, and um, you just throw in a little Epsom salts. It can be sort of a gradual. It's a way to get sulfate pre-made and it absorbs through the skin and then your body can run with it. So I think it's an excellent source of sulfur It's an Epsom salt bath. I really believe in that.
0: And, if and of we course, to... I also believe
1: in garlic and onions. Garlic and onions, I think, are terrific foods. And um, yeah. we use tons of them in cooking in my household. Um, some of my favorites. And of course, you mentioned the cruciferous vegetables. These are all really good sources of sulfur. Um, broccoli and uh, cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, all those things. C- cabbage. Um, And then, of course, there's also animals-based sources of sulfur that are good, too. I think the um, organic chicken eggs, uh, organic eggs, is a really good food. It's quite inexpensive and um, very, very healthy. Lots of micronutrients and, of course, also sulfur and um, grass-fed beef and um, seafood. Seafood has a lot of sulfur. And and, um, fish has an amino acid called taurine, which is quite interesting. And I wrote about taurine Mm. in my book. It's a sulfur-containing amino acid. That I think is also a good, um, a good resource for sulfur.
0: Say a little bit more about taurine because I I I see it around and I see people talking about it, but you seem like a great person to ask about. What are some of the benefits of taurine? It's it is an amino acid that's in the form of a question. Sorry.
1: It's yeah, taurine is really really interesting, and I've actually I wrote about taurine also before I met glyphosate. I did a, a paper on a taurine, connecting it to autism. Actually, oh. um, taurine is um, is actually not um, a coding amino acid, so it doesn't go into the proteins. But it's the most common free amino acid in the body, so the body likes to store taurine by itself, just a single taurine molecule, and lots of them in the heart, in the liver, and in the brain. It stores taurine, which I found quite fascinating. And it, you know, there's kind of a mystery around that. I don't know why that, you know, why it does that type of thing. But what I've discovered in my research is that taurine is released from the heart during a heart attack, and it's released from the brain during seizures. And I find that really fascinating. And I think what's happening is the taurine is being carried in the blood to the liver. The liver is taking it up. The liver actually attaches taurine to bile acids. It's quite interesting. Bile acids go out with a last step is stick a taurine on there and ship it back to the gut. You know, stick a taurine on there, ship it back to the gut. So the, the bile acids are delivering taurine, I think, to the gut microbes on a silver platter. It's basically a, a the bile acids facilitate the, um, uh, uh, help the uh, microbes to to turn taurine into sulfate. Taurine is almost sulfate. It has a sulfonate attached to it. that makes it a very unique amino acid. None of the other amino acids have that taurine has this sulfonate, which is almost sulfate. It just needs one more oxygen to be sulfate. And the gut microbes are able... It's been shown experimentally that a taurine can get converted into sulfate by the uh, the gut microbes and then delivered to the host. So it's a very complicated way of having a backup system, a reserve system for sulfate under emergency conditions when sulfate is so deficient that uh, you're desperate. That's what I think.
0: And... Are there sources? What are the sources? Food sources. I think of it as a supplement. Uh, fish what is are a really good
1: sources? source. Yeah, okay. fish is a good source for taurine, especially deep water fish. I think taurine has some utility in deep water, and I've forgotten what that is. But and also uh, meats, uh, animal-based foods. Plants have none, so that's something to think about. Okay. Plants have none, so it, you have to. It has to be from animal-based foods.
0: And does that paper, I don't have a note here about that, but do, can I get that paper from you or a link to Is that paper online someplace? On yes. I,
1: the paper that okay. I wrote that talks about taurine and it relates it to autism as well um, is available online. I'll have to, I can send you a link and you can post it, I guess. Is there a way to post it? That'd be it? great.
0: Yes. I'd love to put it yeah. in the show notes. And talk a little yeah, bit more yeah. about, back to autism, about taurine and autism. How does that fit into the autism realm?
1: And, you know, autism is also connected to seizures. That's kids with autism are more likely to have seizures than other kids, and kids who have seizures are more likely to have autism. Um, and I think it's the same thing. It's the sulfate deficiency that's causing both the autism and the seizures because the seizures are a way to restore sulfate to the brain. There was um, There's lots of evidence that there's a deficiency in heparin sulfate, which is it's one of these complicated sugar chain things that I talked about heparin sulfate in the brain inside the brain ventricles in the cerebrospinal fluid deficiency in heparin sulfate is linked directly to autism in both humans and mice and it was really fascinating i've found several mouse studies there was one in particular which was really striking because they actually were able to, they can do weird things with these mice. I feel very sorry for the mice in these experiments, but they can actually manipulate the mice when they're born. They can they can inject something into the brain ventricles that interferes with their ability to make heparin sulfate. And when they do that, those mice develop into mice that have all the mouse features of autism. It turns them into autistic mice just with that one change very specific to the heparin sulfate in the brain ventricles. And other experiments, they have these mice that they've managed to create that breed true to autism, and those mice, that have they've shown, they've looked, they've found those mice also have heparin sulfate deficiency in the brain ventricles. And then in humans, there was a post-mortem study on autistic brains, and they found the same feature in the human, humans with autism. So I find that really fascinating because this heparin sulfate in the brain ventricles is critical for the uh, developmental process where the uh, neurons, premature neurons uh, come out of those ventricles and mature into the, into the brain. As the brain develops, it's absolutely crucial to have enough heparin sulfate for the whole process to work properly in the development of the brain. So that's really quite amazing to me.
0: Wow. That's a whole other show. (laughs) That's amazing. and, and, I just, it's just my, every time I talk to you, it just blows my mind more about how we just keep doing this. We just keep doing this. We just keep somehow allowing or, you know, as I, in my mind, I always have the sound effect of the sound of a Halliburton briefcase being opened with cash inside. And (laughs) I I just seems like that. It just seems like really at some point I, this is just I'm throwing this into the universe at some point. It just seems like we have to wake up and go we're destroying the planet,
1: right? I know it's and we're sad. destroying said, ourselves we so and the hope
0: I, I i think I actually I as I studied for the show. I listened or read a bunch of materials. And I think somewhere in there. I heard you talk about if we're lucky, we'll destroy ourselves before we destroy the rest of the planet can really get depressing out
1: depressing to look at it that way. I look at the birds and the bees and the butterflies and I say, you poor thing, you've got humans in
0: your life, you know. it's sort
1: of, You have to think, you know, what's the biggest pest on this earth right now? There's no question in my mind.
0: Everything was working so well without us. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. It's really kind of true, isn't it? What other species could do the kind of damage that we're doing, you know? It's really sad. And I wish we could just uh, recognize the need because I think there is a certain tendency for people to be lazy and i can imagine if you have a farm and you can just throw some glyphosate on everything and then you can sit back and relax you know there's a the effort involved in doing it right is a lot more effort and people like the lazy way and if they don't see the long-term consequences of what they're doing if they can't own up to that uh, they'll just keep doing it Uh, you know until they die of um, parkinson's disease or non-hodgkin's lymphoma you know then they'll realize (laughs) whoops i got exposed (laughs) But
0: it'll be too late. Well, and the farmers, uh, I've interviewed farmers who were traditional farmers, had done that. And there was some moment, some aha moment they had where they went, oh, my God, I can't keep doing this. And I don't know if it was, I can't think of anybody specific. Well, I can think of Robert Quinn, I think is his name, who uh, used to have a 100,000-acre family farm, which is, Mm. to me, seems pretty darn huge. And it was standard. (laughs) And then it was oh, something yeah, that, <clears throat> right, one day he woke up and something sort of snapped in him and he was growing wheat. And he chose to stop doing that and started producing an ancient wheat called, um, uh-oh, uh, I can't think an of it I- now.
1: einkorn or something?
0: Yeah, einkorn. einkorn? Something similar in the, in the, like the family that. of einkorns. It isn't called einkorn. Yeah. It's called, uh, he, uh, the label brand is called Camus, K-A-M-U-T. Oh, okay. Which is, an, I think, it's in the Idencorn family, and so yeah. he converted this farm to that,
1: and which is do completely. It
0: organically? He did it completely organically. No sprays, yeah, no pesticides, nice. no chemicals, no chemical fertilizers, nothing. It's a completely certified organic product. You can find That's it lovely. in cereals. You can find it in cracker crackers. You can find it as a snack. And he's dedicated his life to doing that. And the center of the farm is a research facility where they're researching it on a regular basis. So I, so I am hearing more of that as a trend, but then on the other hand, if I drive through Salinas Valley or drive down to San Luis Obispo through the Salinas Valley, which is much bigger than people imagine, everything mm-hmm. from, you know, Monterey Peninsula or around that area, Hollister is what the area would be, all the way to San Luis Obispo is ag of some kind. Right. That's a lot. That's hundreds of miles. Yes. yes. And I think most of it is standard. Meaning they're just putting right. on chemicals and putting on chemical fertilizer. They they have the cascade of chemical on top of chemical on top of chemical, which back to what we talked about earlier. Nobody ever looks at that. Like oh we yeah. don't we're not just this chemical. We're adding three others and what happens when those get together? We don't know. I know and that's nobody the thing does. they
1: never study them in com- combination. And we know in combination they're often synergistic, such that they're mo- much more toxic than either one would have been by by itself. It's more than the sum of two parts. You know. We yes. put them together. They collaborate yeah. to make worse damage. That's so true. And it's so such a complex space. There's no way you could possibly hope to study it um, right. accurately to really understand. And you just know that it's not good <laughs> you know, if you're getting all these different chemicals <laughs> that thrown at you. Your poor body. I mean, I'm impressed at how well we do given how many chemicals we're exposed to these days. And we're not doing very well, I have to admit. I mean, so many people are sick. It's just really sad. Or obese, you know, we've got really, we're in bad shape.
0: Well, when we seem to have, I mean, I'm pretty old, but it just amazes me how many types of conditions are immunosuppressed or immune irritated or immune inflamed related. Right.
1: I think the immune system is key. And I have a whole chapter in my book on the immune system and glyphosate. And, and I described my understanding of how glyphosate could be suppressing innate immunity. It really, uh, I think, it really badly affects. Again, this glyphosate susceptibility motif. I see it in uh, a whole collection of immune um, of pro- proteins that are produced by immune cells that are that are very good at um, trapping uh, viruses. And so, in fact, there are these surfactant proteins in the lungs that yeah. are members of this class. They're very interesting. They have what's called a collagen-like stalk, and that's crucial Mm -hmm. for their performance. And that collagen-like stalk is like collagen, of course, and collagen is the most common protein in the body. Something like twenty five percent of the proteins in our body are collagen molecules they they 're the glue in the joints in the bones in the in the skin in the in the brain and everywhere they're the, they 're the glue and collagen has long, long sequences of what I call g x y g x y g x y, where every third amino acid is a glycine tremendous opportunity for glyphosate to substitute for glycine, and the glycines are critical for the for the formation of the triple helix structure that this um, protein folds into. And of course, the triple helix is is critical for it to function properly. And so the triple helix doesn't form when you've got these glyphosate molecules in the way. And so um, the collagen becomes deformed, and that's causing, I think, a lot of issues with the bones and the joints. You know, a lot of joint pain, back back pain. We have so many knee surgery, hip surgery. We have a lot of issues with our joints these days, and um, and and much more so than we did, you know, when I was a child. <clears throat> and I think. Um, glyphosate is a major player in that problem and then you go back to the collagen-like stalk in these immune uh, in these proteins that are produced by the immune cells if those aren't in fact I predict they won't even get released and so the uh, the lungs don't have these surfactant proteins in place that could trap the viruses and so the viruses can have a field day they can really take hold and and get you really sick I really believe that um, it's interesting when you look at COVID-19 in different countries uh, ability to cope with it or not and and you see which countries are having a lot of trouble and two that come to mind are Brazil and the United States, and those are sort of the big leaders in glyphosate usage uh, in the world and um, and they they just can 't seem to get a handle on this covid nineteen you know we 've had so many more a much much higher death rate in the, those countries than in most other countries and, uh, and then you have vast numbers of countries in Africa. Um, that have almost no problem at all with COVID. They hardly even see it as a problem and a much, much lower death rate. And those countries use much less glyphosate than we do. I think there's a correlation, doesn't mean causation, you have to always say that, but I suspect that correlation is an indicator that glyphosate is making us less uh, able to fight off the virus. And it's not just, you know, glyphosate's messing up the immune system is critical because it's the innate immunity that can't... um, control and that's when you have to call in the adaptive immunity and you have to make all these antibodies and in fact the vaccines you know are very good at getting you to make lots of antibodies to the spike protein but that level of antibodies when you catch the disease you only get that level if you have very severe disease so the vaccine is acting like a severe case of COVID because it's bypassed all the barriers and it's going straight to the, it's forcing the hand of the immune system to go to the adaptive solution, which means making these antibodies. Those antibodies can cause autoimmune disease if there's too many of them.
0: <clears throat> and I want to get back to that, but I want to first ask you about, back to Brazil, we had, I think the last time we talked, you had talked about one of the things that you observed with Brazil is that they do a high amount of biofuels. So would yes, you talk about biofuels as a glyphosate delivery system? Really? would exactly. you, to do you what say I'm that? Wondering.
1: Wow! Yeah, it's quite interesting to think about, and, and um, I'm getting pushback on this. Of course, I'm getting pushback on a lot of things, but this idea of glyphosate in the air, uh, in the cities where biofuels are being used in the vehicles, is what I'm thinking. And that, and that's you know, when you look at the very beginning of the epidemic, and you had uh, Wuhan is already a, a pretty highly polluted city. And uh, with probably lots of glyphosate, I can't confirm that. Um, And then in Italy, in northern Northern Italy, they had that big uh, outbreak um, of of COVID-19 very early at the very beginning. And then it went over to New York City and they had a big problem there. And New York City and... um, and northern Italy are both areas where they're pretty uh, advanced in the biofuel business. They're really pushing biofuels as a solution to try to uh, deal with climate change, try to reduce the oil consumption, I should say, uh, and by using these uh, oils that are de- de- derived from foods, from basic food crops. And, um, and Brazil is also a very big leader in biofuels, and they have, um, they have, they can make um, uh, ethanol out of sugarcane. In Brazil, and they have these trucks they've designed that can run on like 70% ethanol in their fuel, and and those trucks then are I think spewing out glyphosate because the the uh, sugar cane is not a GMO Roundup Ready crop, but it's sprayed with glyphosate pretty routinely right before the harvest. So then you're harvesting, then you take the stalks then you turn them into sugar, turn them into ethanol. And then the ethanol is very uh, evaporates very easily. It could even be getting released at, when you're filling up the tank. You know, the ethanol is going to evaporate. The glyphosate is going to evaporate with it, and you're going to end up with glyphosate in the air. And, in fact, there was a study in Brazil. I was really happy to see this. I think it was in 2020, quite recent, maybe 2019. Um, they looked at uh, at nanoparticles in the air over the agricultural fields where they were using glyphosate extensively. They looked for glyphosate in the nanoparticles and they also took samples from the nearby city where there weren't any farms and compared, they found high levels they were surprised at how much glyphosate they found in those nanoparticles in the air in both the agricultural area and in the city and the amount in the city was pretty close to the amount over the agricultural fields so the glyphosate is really getting distributed in the atmosphere, and then you breathe it in, in these nanoparticles, and the glyphosate's going to destroy those, you know, uh, the immune capability of the lungs by messing up those uh, surfactant proteins, and that's going to cause you to be much more susceptible to um, to COVID-19 and other lung infections.
0: So it's actually destroying the mucosa or damaging the mucosa of the lungs?
1: Well, yes, uh, of course, it's going to disrupt the sulfate supply, which is important for the mucosal mucosal health, and it's going to disrupt right. these um, immune uh, these proteins that I mentioned earlier. These guys with the collagen-like stalk, those are going to get uh-huh. messed up, and the metabolism is going to mess, get messed up too. I talk a lot in my book about certain absolutely critical. Enzymes that are that play a role in the mitochondria in the whole uh, what's called the citric acid cycle. There's some critical enzymes in there. It's even been shown experimentally. One of them is called succinate dehydrogenase, really really important enzyme in the mitochondria that gets suppressed by glyphosate. That was shown in studies, and um, that's really going to mess up. That's going to cause you know both uh, inflammation. It's going to cause reactive oxygen species, which are going to damage. The cell and damage the mitochondria, and it's going to interfere with the ability to make ATP, which is the energy source for the cell. So the cells are both starved for energy and being damaged by by these um, reactive oxygen. um, Really bad scene. And it's been shown in many studies that glyphosate causes these mitochondria to get uh, to get damaged. It's a really critical part. Mitochondrial, you know. Impairment is a is a, a very common underlying um, aspect of many many uh, debilitating diseases, including autism.
0: Wow, uh, I have a somebody in live chat who's asking me: Can we could we take taurine as a daily supplement? I, taurine I know is the long term answer. Okay, and would that benefit it us is available in, in the, the interim? Supplement. In fact,
1: there's a drink, right? Taur- taurus, is some kind of a drink that has taurine in it. Um, a, a sort of a a drink that bodybuilders like to drink. I've forgotten the oh, name. Oh yes, I, think yeah, I can't it, remember a the bowl name or something. Yeah. Taurus or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone might know that, but yeah, that has yes, that has taurine in it.
0: So we could take that. I mean, obviously, we want it out of our diet. Yeah, and so I always talking... prefer. Yeah,
1: right. I I have a strong belief that it's much better to get all of your nutrients through foods, but I do recognize that if people are you know, if you're severely sulfur deficient, you might want to take sulfur-containing supplements, and taurine would be one of them. And there are other ones, too. There's um, uh, lipoic acid, um, alpha lipoic acid uh, contains mm-hmm. sulfur, and there's chondroitin sulfate and glucosamine sulfate, and then methyl sulfonylmethane might be the best one for straight sulfur. Methyl sulfonylmethane is an interesting organic sulfur compound that is marketed. A lot of people, are, um, it's very easily available. Uh, MSM, it's called, and it has um, two methyls attached to a sulfur, which is quite cute. It has a sulfur and oxygen and two methyls. The methyls are are probably useful as well, you know, methylation pathways and whatnot. So it's uh, it's kind of a, a, neat, a neat molecule.
0: I'm quickly writing that down. <laughs> we'll have to listen to this and take notes. Um, and back to the food idea, I, I think part of the advantage – in eating a food as an herbalist, this is how I think is that like, I'm a fan of whole plant extracts. Yeah, I don't I want agree with the that. like, I don't want a, any kind of molecular sitting or we distillate or no, I want a whole plant extract. And that's part. and I, this is the same way I feel about food. If I want taurine or I want some sort of good fatty cascade, I'll have a grass fed steak. Exactly. Like, grass-fed, grass-finished. Grass These days you have to have the word, add the word grass-finished because it's there's marketing where it's meat, like, it's it? grass-fed, but it's not grass-finished. And they're like always horrified mm-hmm. when I go into a restaurant and say, is it grass-fed, finished? And they're like, well, I don't know. Well, it's really <laughs> important to know that.
1: Know.
0: <laughs> and so one of the reasons I like I'm with you on the food is because I think there are probably, I, I believe that there are micronutrients in a good grass-fed, grass-finished steak. That we don't know yet. We might not yes. know. We think we know everything. Like, oh, you can just take this capsule of soy. Bleh, right. I know. And you'll get everything. <laughs> right.
1: You'll be little fine. You'll be good. Too, right? yeah.
0: And yeah. it's spooky. Just eat whole yeah. foods. Really good. Grown- I think the whole
1: thing with the fish, you know, people think the fish is omega-3 fatty acids. We've kind of learned that. And then you can just take omega-3 fatty acids and don't bother bother with the fish. And when you do that, you're not getting the taurine, for example. And I think the taurine may be the more critical nutrient in the fish than than the fatty acids. We don't know, but, you know, to take just to assume that the fatty acid is the one thing in the fish that's good for you is ridiculous because there's so much else. And, of course, when we eat processed foods like a soy protein bar, you've lost all of these really incredible molecules that the plants make you know when you eat a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables you've got all kinds of interesting polyphenols and and flavonoids and terpenoids i mean all these fancy molecules and even chlorophyll i was really surprised to find an article that said that humans could take the chlorophyll from the plant and use it to help facilitate their mitochondria to make energy they could use the chlorophyll as a as a tool to help um wow you know, as a catalyst to help them make ATP. So cool. So I think we're eating all these unusual molecules in our plants, but when we eat our soy protein bar, we've just basically got you know, the basic uh, fats and sugars and proteins, and you don't have all those other interesting molecules that are not in those, any of those three classes, you know?
0: And soy, I have a string of bad words about poor, sad soy. It's <laughs> so polluted and so bad and estrogen yes. mimicking it's so tricky right. i think soy is such a tricky source i i fortunately live near a group in a town called sebastopol who makes an organic uh natto and uh-huh. so they actually get yes. organic soy soy and they make this really wonderful thing if you know what soy is because i mean natto is because i can hear by the happiness in your voice that you know natto. and it's an amazing substance. It's wonderful to eat once right. you get, you know, it's a little weird and slimy and, you know, it can be odd. But It is amazing, amazing that people
1: can enjoy it, um, but certainly it's a very good representative of that whole class of fermented foods, and I think that's another important thing to realize is that you need to eat fermented foods. And um, I really like sauerkraut, and of course apple cider uh-huh. vinegar is one that we use routinely We make our own salad dressing with um, organic apple cider vinegar and uh, those are both um, really healthy foods to eat on a regular basis.
0: And the yeah, other form foods. of soy, and the other form of soy that I'm a fan of is, um, uh-oh, uh, the fermented brick. It's called. Uh-oh, it just slipped off my brain. Um, I can see it though, and it's a yeah. fermented cake of soy. They actually take the soy and they in give it a passage a microbe. It makes it ferment into a little brick, and you can saute it or fry it. And again, these same people make this one, tempeh, there we go, Um, tempeh Mm -hmm. that is a fermented organic soy, and then Mm -hmm. you, once it's fermented, I think it helps break it down so it's more assimilatable because soy is... Right, well, in fact,
1: it gets rid of some of those uh, molecules that are an issue with estrogen, uh, you know, uh, simulators, estrogen analogs that uh, mess up your... Hormones, they get they 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 think they disappear when you when you ferment it.
0: I just yeah, and fermenting is so easy. I, I, not just soy, uh, but in terms of just sauerkraut or vegetables or any mm-hmm. number of things that you could ferment and have a little bit with every meal. Yeah, sauerkraut's the great, that and a that's got the
1: sulfur too because yeah. the cabbage is a good source of sulfur. So I really like sauerkraut. We have a great source here in Kauai, so we appreciate it. Organic sauerkraut, really
0: right. delicious. I have somebody, these actually, it's same, it's neighbors of these same people who also make an organic kimchi. I, yes, I like there spicy you go. things. Excellent. And kimchi is another, you know, it's high in all sorts of wonderful things and macronutrients. And I, anytime I can get a vegetable that's from the earth that is very rooted, which a lot of the things in kimchi are, because I think there are micronutrients that we're getting through that. So I love a good kimchi, but mm-hmm. this is not a cooking show. That's a whole. <laughs> do sometime, more well, it's to so
1: important to know what you eat, and we've really, you know, we've become more and more hung up on making sure we eat well as we as we get older. My husband and I, and we we really put in the extra effort. We always buy organic, and and we buy now you know Whole Foods and make things from scratch. Even like the garlic, you buy you don't buy the chopped up garlic or the garlic salt. You buy the uh, the whole clove of garlic and you peel it and you chop it and you do it all yourself you know we've gotten very hung up on that take the time in the kitchen i believe it's worth it for the extra nutritional value it's really worth it especially, especially if today
0: yeah especially today yeah um christopher ranch which is a huge producer of garlic that's sort of the in the gilroy area is the garlic capital of california and christopher ranch takes, will produce it in a number of ways. One of the ways they produce it, it's all produced. It's not just, they, they do sell garlic as a bulb, but mostly they put it in jars and make it pre-peeled or something like that. But at least it's just garlic in a jar peeled. Okay, I'll take right. that me. Right, uh, yes. But I won't take yeah. it chopped because they add a, what I call a creepy preservative to chopped garlic, which I think is a joke because garlic will kill anything almost. If you, yeah, it's not going right. to be oh, that's like molded. I didn't
1: realize that. That's yeah. a good reason to start with the whole clove, isn't
0: it? Yes. Yeah. I will, as I say, I will buy their cloves in a jar that are peeled because it is really mm-hmm. nice to have pre-peeled garlic, especially if you're doing something with a lot of garlic. That Right. But but I won't never buy pre-chopped because there's always going to be something in there as an additive that, you know, we may not know now, but in 15 years, they're going to go, oh imagine
1: that from that additive.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's Attitude. the thing. Any kind of processing is a dangerous uh, thing to do, I think. So you've got to go back to as basic as you can get, um, within
0: practical reason. <laughs> <laughs> within right, yeah. Practical is tricky. You know, for I mm. I've always had a passion for things like natto and tempeh and those kinds of foods and I've made my own tempeh. But since I now have people nearby who do it, it's like, wow, this is oh, yeah. awesome. Because it's such a great food. Then I believe soy is good. But all the bars and the protein powders and the spooky stuff that people eat on a regular basis, soy is just hard to digest. Mm -hmm. It's interesting
1: how it's become so popular in our culture. Because it's cheap, You know, it's easy to grow. It's GMO, Roundup Ready. It's just... um, it becomes, it, it, the food industry has figured out how to use soy, soy protein, you know, as a, and it actually takes the soy apart into all of its components, right? You've got the soy, soybean oil and you've got the soy protein bars and um, that you just uh, make everything out of soy and sugar beets and corn and, and uh, you know, that's pretty much maybe wheat, the whole diet, right? It's really yeah.
0: centered on these things. Those four things make up probably about seventy percent of people's diets. I'll just yeah, say that off the top of my head. There's no research there. Don't quote me.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm just saying that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, well, we right need there. to get
1: away from the processed foods. That's for sure. You know, uh, people, I think it's very simple rules to just. And of course, buying certified organic is becoming easier and easier. I'm really happy to see yeah. certified organic showing up more and more, even in the sort of more common, you know, everyday grocery stores as opposed to things like Whole Foods. I mean, Costco has a huge selection of, of certified organic foods. Yes. Um, so you can get certified organic pretty easily. And, of course, these days you can order it online, too, um, right. which makes it um, easier to find.
0: Yeah. And I think, I, again, in researching, I heard or read you say something about levels of glyphosate in non-GMO foods
1: hmm Yes. In fact, I think the highest <laughs> That's level... That's scary.
0: Mm-hmm. Please, yes, talk That's about that. That's really scary. Wow.
1: I was really shocked to find that garbanzo beans and chickpeas and lentils had some of the highest levels of glyphosate in foods that were analyzed by Canada compared to all the other foods. And those are non-GMO foods, and they were loaded with glyphosate because they're sprayed right before harvest as a desiccant. And the same is true for wheat, which is why I think the gluten intolerance problem is really a glyphosate intolerance problem
0: and can we get certified well I guess we can you just have to find the vendor who produces certified organic garbanzos
1: you can yes I don't know about garbanzos but um, certainly you can get hummus that's certified organic even at uh, Mm -hmm. Whole Foods for example I like hummus a lot. And I was so sad when I learned that I could never eat it again at a restaurant because I would just see the glyphosate as I would take the bite, you know, I could just picture it.
0: Well, I, until I heard you say that I had, I would always go into the grocery store. Occasionally I have to have a potato chip. Come on. (laughs) Just occasionally. And I don't want to make my own. I could, but it's, it's too much no. <laughs> and i would buy non gmo and then i heard you say that and i thought oh no now non gmo is suspect that's another sad right
1: we don't need the gmo label we just need the organic label and fortunately we do have a certified organic label thank god for that cuz i don't know what i would have done if i couldn't get certified organic i don't even i don't consider non gmo to be even worth looking at just look for certified organic Go for, go for the the whole yard, nine yards.
0: <laughs> Either yeah, or grow your own. That's the fantasy. Or grow thing, your own.
1: Yes, I know. I'm sort of wishing that I had figured out younger in my life how to how to live off the off the grid. You know, just have your little farm and get everything for yourself and be self sufficient. That appeals to me at this point.
0: That sounds really good. Well, I think about I've referred to her before, but my grandmother lived to be 106. And she was totally ambulatory and working in the garden and, you know, doing things until she was 102 when she fell on the front porch, sweeping ice off of her steps and broke her hip. Oh. But she got up and walked out of the hospital because she was having none of that. She'd never been in the hospital before. And she had she was old enough that she came across the United States in a wagon.
1: Not wow. by choice.
0: This was how you traveled from Michigan to Salt Lake.
1: Wow. And lived that's to be really hundred and six.
0: Yeah. And and I know that they I know that my par- my grandparents grew their own food because that's what you did in that time. And yes. so they ate organic their entire life completely right. unintentionally, exactly. completely unaware. They weren't hippies. They weren't right. not that I'm to hippies. Right, <laughs> it, was, it was what you did. You ate organically because that was the most cost-effective way to produce food. Yeah. And she lived to be 100 Well, I wish shit. we could
1: get those times back. I feel like all the young people, anyone who's young and, and healthy, wants to go buy some land and start an organic farm – I think it's one of the best things they could choose as a career path at this point because it's what's going to save us, I think.
0: Well, and the kids, when I go to farms regionally here in Northern California, I go visit farms that are family-run, and the kids are just like young bulls. I mean, I, or females, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure what the equivalent word is, but I mean, they're just like <laughs> vital and healthy and dirt under their fingers and joy-filled and out working in the garden. And they're just like yeah. so healthy. They have their hands in this amazing organic earth. They're eating organically, not necessarily vegetarians, but just eating. Every, they're growing. They go out and pick it and eat it. How does it yeah. get any better than that?
1: I know. It's uh, something to long for. If <laughs> we all bow our heads and go, oh,
0: that sounds really good. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised to find where where I ask you, where can people follow you and find out more about your work and or where would you like them to get a copy of Toxic Legacy?
1: Right. I have a, a personal web page, net. And I have a, a, a branch there called, slash book where you can find links to various booksellers. Of course, Amazon sells it, uh, but there's several booksellers that offer the book, or you could get it directly from the publisher, Chelsea Green.
0: Okay, great. Okay. Right. Um, fun as always. It's in air quotes. Yes, it was great. Thanks. <laughs> it's great. Thank you. And everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.